Hey Lifehouse, welcome to another online service. Uh, you've joined us for our relationship series, Strong Relationships. So get ready to take some notes and we're going to head straight into the message. Father, we thank you that you are our Jehovah Jireh, our provider. Lord, we've all come in with needs, with wants, with desires. But Lord, we're looking to you. We trust you because it promises in your word that you will be our provider, that you will give us everything that we need. So Father, we thank you and we celebrate who you are and what you have done for us, what the cross purchased for us. Life and life eternal. In Jesus' wonderful name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated as we start our Strong Relationship series. So, the year was 1996. DVDs, Nintendo 64, and the Spice Girls burst onto the scene with a zig zig ah. And he, he liked uh, playing his PlayStation. He liked uh, singing to Michael Jackson with his socks on so he could pretend to actually do the moonwalk and avoiding homework. And, and she, she liked playing the flute. And uh, she liked driving her... Grandma's 86 Corolla, and uh, she liked trying to prove that she was as smart as all the boys at physics and chemistry. <laughs> but they started to like each other, and last time I was up here, I spoke uh, about, and we did that unrehearsed tango, uh, last time I spoke about relationships. Uh, that was sabotage, remember, and we sort of tried to reenact it totally unrehearsed and we failed miserably. And I, I probably showed you this next photo, if we can have that next photo up. I, I probably showed you that photo, that was our tango photo from our year 12 formal. But I didn't tell you the whole story because that's not the whole photo. If we can go to the next one. They say it only takes two to tango, but you need three people for a love triangle. I wasn't the only one that learnt to tango with Belinda. And uh, George uh, says that he thinks that Belinda looks like Stephanie from The Bold and the Beautiful. And uh, there was definitely some daytime drama happening in, uh, in the Year 12 chemistry class at Cornerstone college and so uh, you're here today to learn how to have stronger relationships and we're here to learn how somehow 27 years later I won So we're learning how, you know, what moves I put on, how I made that other guy tap out and how I ended up 
with the girl, is that right? The, the chokehold that, that sort of sealed the deal. No, strong relationships is not about physical strength, but relational strength. Developing relationships that will stand the test of time and not just the length of a single dance. So it's not just about husbands and wives, but it's about our family relationships, our our friendships, but most importantly, about our relationship with God, because if that is strong, then we will make it through whatever life throws at us and will last not just 27 years, but on into eternity. But back to 17-year-old Josh defeating Christopher Mark Beams. (laughs) How did I do it? Was I just so devastatingly handsome that she couldn't resist me? Why is there laughter at that? You are good looking. (laughs) Thanks, Robbie. One fan in the house. Was it that I provided such financial stability because I was the proud owner of my grandpa's XC Falcon with the leaky radiator? No, it... It wasn't that at all. I mean, she was so beautiful, but I was not so bold as Stephanie in, in the show. I, I was scared. I didn't know what to do. But even though I wasn't a Christian yet, I was praying to God and God spoke to me and he told me to play the long game. He actually said, if you... Enter into a relationship now, you will lose her forever. But if you let her go now, she will end up yours in the end. And that was hard. That was hard to be able to do. So point one, if you're taking notes, is play the long game. And John 12.25 says, The one who loves this life will lose it. And the one who despises it in this world and is concerned with pleasing God will have life forevermore. Now, most games that we play are what we call finite games. Before you start, everyone's clear on the rules. And there's a set start and there's a set end time. So once an objective is meeting, is met it's the end of the game so it could be you know eight ball in the corner pocket it could be you know colonel mustard in the library with the dagger it could be gin and the game is over not drinking gin. i mean the game could be over if you're drinking too much gin but you know there's a card game called gin and once you get that the game is finished But how do you win at being a husband? Is it noticing before she tells you that she's had a haircut? 
You might win that week, but then what about the time when she goes and gets her eyebrows lifted? I didn't even know that was a thing. How am I supposed to know that? How am I supposed to comment on that? We go from winning to losing. We weren't clear on on the rules. How do you win at being a father? Is it not yelling the first time you take your daughter driving and she scrapes your rims against the curb twice and almost gets hit by a truck once and you wanted to but you didn't yell. Is that winning? Maybe it was in that moment but then maybe the next month she comes out and wanting to go down the streets wearing shorts that definitely live up to their name and you do yell and so again you've gone from winning to losing because we weren't clear on the rules because while everything else in life is a finite game I mean you study you have exams you get a result you apply for a promotion you work harder you either get it or you don't. You go to the shops, you buy food, you make food, you eat food, you go to the toilet. There's a start and there's an end to everything. It's finite. But relationships are infinite. They are eternal and the rules to an eternal game are different. And so it's like If you were to try to play basketball using football rules, you can imagine that it's going to be chaotic and you're not going to win. And so it is when we try to play at this relationship game, this infinite game, this eternal game using finite rules. But that is what our society does all the time. They take away the eternal. We, we tell a generation that they just descended from pond scum, that they are a cosmic accident, that when they die there is no such thing as eternity and so nothing that they do ultimately matters. And so what happens when you take eternity out of relationships when you change the rules of the game people then are left to think well how can i win at something infinite in a finite way what's the most immediate way that i can win and the result of course we see in relationships is a porn industry that last year brought in in excess of 97 billion dollars and teenagers both males and females sending nudes of themselves without any measurable financial cost but a huge cost to their future relationships and to their soul So to have strong relationships, we first have to see that while everything else 
is temporary. Jobs, houses, cars, money, everything that the world focuses on is all temporary. The thing that matters most, the things that we actually should be investing into more than anything else are the things that are eternal in relationships. And we need to play the long game, which is hard. For me as a 17-year-old, to say no to the immediate and trust an unknown God for the eternal was hard. I had to wait an entire new millennium and Belinda to go through two more boyfriends before she realised how amazing I actually was. No. In that time, in that space of time, it was five years that I had to wait. But in that space of time, her eternity was secured in Christ. And then she invited me to make my eternity secure in Christ. And then because that was secured, it meant that then and only then were we actually ready to enter into a relationship with each other because we already had everything that we need in Christ. And so we could enter into that relationship to be a blessing to each other rather than to take and to get. But it was only knowing that eternity was there, that we were playing the long game, that we were able to do that. So once we have established that we are, that we are playing this eternal game, what are the rules? How do we win at this eternal game so we can have strong relationships, not just strong, lustful thoughts for a moment? Point two, if you're taking notes, talk isn't cheap. I know that the world tells us that it is, but the opposite is true. Talk isn't cheap. So again, back in the, back in the 90s, a, a Japanese scientist by the name of Dr. Masaru Emoto Heido set out to discover why over 10,000 of the patients that he treated with various conditions all responded positively when he treated them with water. But it wasn't just any water, it was water that had been subjected to particular frequencies of sound. Now that sounds a bit new agey, and the new age kind of talks about manifesting your reality. You know, believe it and it will come true. You, you have the, the power in your mind, the power in your brain to, to make things appear, to, to make things happen. The power of positive thinking and all of this stuff that we hear, speaking things into existence. And whilst God is creative and we are made in God's image and likeness, we don't manifest or create new things but we can bring things back into alignment with God's will. God spoke things into creation in the beginning. And so now, although that sin has brought chaos and destruction into uh, our world and disorder back into God's creation, 
we speak things not into existence, but back into alignment with what God intended in the beginning. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Jesus said this, Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. There is an eternal rhythm to the universe. It is not the rhythm of anger or hate or rules. Jesus says the rhythm of the universe is grace. And Dr. Hado, who was not a Christian, discovered that every atom has a frequency as it spins, as it moves. A rhythm, and if we work with those rhythms, it actually brings healing. And he thought, well, if every snowflake is actually sort of different and unique, there must be factors that actually impact the way that those crystals grow. And so he thought, well, I wonder if I can look at different water qualities and uh, freeze water from different places and actually see a difference in the crystals as they formed. And he found that, in fact, that that was true. And then he thought, well, I wonder if every atom has a frequency and if every frequency can be measured. I wonder if I put different frequencies into the water as I'm freezing it. I wonder if that will affect the way that the crystals grow and he found that it did. And then he did something which kind of has no scientific basis or reason or, or understanding, but I think for us today has great spiritual implication and can help us on our journey to having strong relationships. And what he did was that he actually spoke over the water as it was freezing to check if the frequency and the way that he spoke and the words that he used would impact the crystals and the way that they formed. And just like God, who started out with order and beauty and perfection and then sin came in and brought chaos, maybe speaking the right words will reflect that which has taken place in our world. And this is what he discovered. If we can have the the next picture up, thanks, Austin. You can see on the right, he spoke the words, you disgust me. And that is what resulted. Chaos, no, nothing, it was just formless. But when he spoke the words love and gratitude, a perfect crystal emerged. We can have the next picture up. So again, you can see disgusting if we spoke that over it there was formless crystals that were forming love everything looked beautiful and if he spoke evil words that again there was nothingness it was building nothing it was deconstructionism evident for us to see next picture and so he did this multiple times with multiple different things, and you can see there the results. Your brain is 75% water. 
And some of you right now are thinking, yeah, and the tide is out and with me. <laughs> but, but maybe the reason that you actually think that is not actually based in truth. Maybe the reason that you think that is because someone spoke, you make me sick, that you are dumb, that you are no good over you. And so your thinking became aligned, not with God's thinking of you, but actually became aligned with that negativity, with all that junk and brought chaos to your thinking. And so maybe if different words were spoken over you, maybe you wouldn't think that about yourself because maybe, just maybe, it's actually not true. Because if this is what is happening in water outside of the body, imagining what is happening with the water inside of your body. And imagine what is happening within your soul. Building strong relationships that are ones that play the long game, as we said in point one, placing eternity back into them, making decisions based on the fact that whilst everything else is temporary, your soul is eternal and to be valued above everything else. And strong relationships are also built on the knowledge that talk isn't cheap. Proverbs 18.21 says, Words kill. Words give life. They're either poison or fruit. You choose. So, what are you choosing? What words are you speaking over those around and about you? Even if you're not speaking it over your children, over your spouse, if your household is filled with negativity towards the government and this thing and that, then that is what is being created in your relationships, in your world. But we can speak words of life. What are the words of life? How do we speak these words? How do we know what to, what to say? Well, last week we spoke about the gift of speaking in tongues and I start every day speaking in that language of heaven because it aligns me with God's plans, with God's thoughts, with God's truth over my life and not the world's. But maybe last week some of you in here and you thought that was a bit strange. Maybe that's, I'm not ready for that yet and that's okay. Because the scripture says in Ephesians 5.19, it says, Speak to one another with psalms, with hymns and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. And so I start every day with worship. I actually start every day singing the same song. It's not my favorite worship song. But it's a song called Captain. Because I know that where I'm most likely to get out of alignment with the things of God is I try and do things in my own strength. And so knowing that that's where I get out of alignment, 
this is the song that I choose to sing and start every day with to bring me back into that alignment with God. It says this, like the stars, your word will align my voyage and remind me where I've been and where I'm going. Lost in the shadows amidst fear and fog, your truth is the compass that points me back north. Jesus, my captain. I'm not my captain. Jesus, my captain. I sing that every morning. Jesus, my captain, my soul's trusted Lord. All my allegiance is rightfully yours. But we aren't just to sing over ourselves, although that is powerful and we should do that. Ephesians 5 told us that we're to sing over each other. That that is how we actually develop good relationships. But believe it or not, Satan knows this too. And he does the same thing. I, I haven't asked Jacob to borrow his guitar, but, and I can't play it very well. But there's this thing in physics called harmonic resonance. You may have heard me talk about this before, but basically, when I pluck that, it, it makes a particular note because it's vibrating at a particular frequency. Okay, so I don't know what note that is. Maybe it's a G, I don't know. So Marilyn, just write down, Jacob Dawson brought his G string to church. <laughs> Do you get that? Okay. <laughs> but if I could sing... That exact note, even when it stops moving, if I can get that frequency exactly right, that will actually start to vibrate. If I could go, it'll actually start to vibrate without me touching it. And so Satan is not all-knowing and he's not all-powerful like the Holy Spirit is. All he does is he sings over us negativity until something resonates. You're bad. No one could ever love you. And when something moves, he just sings it over and over and over again into your life. Until you go, this is all I can hear. This, is, this, is, this must be true of me. Like No one's touching that, but that, this is all I'm hearing. This must be true. And so then we choose to pluck because we go that must be my string that must be my lot in life and so we play that note over and over again Genesis 3 says this you've heard me read this scripture to you many times the serpent was more clever than any of the wild animals that the Lord had made the serpent said to the woman, Did God really say that you are not to eat fruit from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden. Do not even touch it or you will die. Now for those of you that know the story, know that Eve's response is not actually the full truth of what God had said. Now, this was Satan's most 
important influential move. If he got this right, this diseased, disconnected thinking, chaotic thinking, would impact the entire human race. So my question is, if he wanted to make sure that she ate the fruit, why didn't he just take the fruit and shove it down her throat? Because that is what we feel that Satan does to us so many times, isn't it? And why, if he could manifest himself as anything, why did he choose to appear as a serpent, the only animal without arms or legs. He didn't do this because he couldn't. A serpent is nothing but a mouth because that was the only power that he had. He has to convince Eve to say the lie. Because she is the one that is made in the image and likeness of God. And she is the one, and you are the one, with the power of creativity in your tongue. What did we read? Psalm 18.21. We've read it before. Life and death lie in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat of its fruit. So what fruit are you choosing to put on your tongue. What is coming out of your mouth? Is it that which is sweet and life-giving or that which is poison and soul-destroying? 1 Peter 5, 8 says this, Be careful, watch out for attacks from Satan, your great enemy. He prowls around like a hungry, roaring lion looking for a victim to tear apart. Notice again, now even though Satan has been now given limbs by us listening to his words above God's, it does not say that Satan goes around just tearing people apart and destroying them. Because he can't. He starts roaring. He brings fear into people. And then when we echo that back, and we allow that fear to take hold of us, then he starts to tear us apart. But he does not have the power to do it of his own accord. He can create nothing. But you can. Know your identity. Know who you are. Know what power you have. Know the game that he is playing. And make him play by, by the rules that God has set for him. The enemy wants to attack marriages more than anything else. Unity in marriages. The world says that if a husband insists on being the head of the home, the wife must then be the neck and turn the head wherever she wants. Have you heard this said before? But this is a finite victory. It makes talk cheap. 
just to try and get one upmanship in the moment. It brings disunity and makes talk cheap. In contrast, the Bible says, a wife is a crown for her husband. But a disgraceful woman is like cancer in his bones. Wives, you're not supposed to be the neck controlling and manipulating with your words. You're supposed to be the crown, bringing beauty to the head. Bringing beauty in your words. Proverbs 16.24 says, Pleasant words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. Some words are like a cancer to the bones. Some words can bring healing to our bones and to our relationship. Pleasant words can undo the job done by disgraceful words because talk isn't cheap. Third and final point. Get your weight up. Turn to the person next to you and say, get your weight up. Some of you were kind of thinking, I've been, I've been getting my weight up. I mean, like, you know, that's, that's, that's what I've been doing the last couple of years. But this is something that gym junkies, you know, kind of say when they're putting more weight on that. They want to get their weight up. They want to get to the point where they can, you know, bench press their own body weight, you know, three sets, 15 reps. If they can do that, then they think, then they're ready for a relationship. Well, let this message be creatine to your soul. What do I mean, get your weight up? Well, uh, my friend Foxy back there, he would know that the American Declaration of Independence says that all men are created equal. And whilst that is true, not all words are created equal. Some carry more weight than others. What do I mean? Well, let's translate that to land. So anyone in the, in the market for land, I've got some, uh, some land that is currently for sale. So if we can have that first picture up, thanks. So this is at Pernong. So you can buy this uh, 1,000 square metre block of land at Pernong for $55,000. Okay, let's go to the next one. This is it in, uh, in Murray Bridge. This, uh, this block of land is $102,000 different price. Let's go to the next one. And we're going to, uh, to Nan. This block of land, uh, 1400 so slightly bigger than the first one that we saw, $340,000 to $360,000. So we're like seven times the amount of the, of the first one. Let's go to the next one. So this one uh, in uh, Vale Park in Adelaide, 500 square meters. 690 to $750,000. All these lands have different prices. Next one. Here we have a, uh, a vacant block of land, slightly bigger, 2,700, but $15 million for a vacant block of land. Now, instinctively, we kind of know that the reason that the land is different because of its proximity to something. 
It's close to, to something that's close to the, the heart of the city or it's close to water, which is very appealing. This one is right on that, you know, right on the bend there, right in the water. You've got two bits of, of water frontage and so that increases the value. All right, if we can play the next video. Thanks, Austin. We're here on the Temple Mount. You can see the Dome of the Rock behind me. And where I am standing right here is where they believe the Holy of Holies was the inner sanctum, the place where God's presence dwelt. The Ark of the Covenant, the veil was right here, right where I'm standing. The most expensive real estate on the planet. How much is that worth? It's priceless. That little block of land that I was standing on is the most fought over piece of land in the history of the world. Why? We need to understand that God's presence not only takes the finite and makes it infinite, but it takes the worthless and makes it priceless. And this doesn't just apply to actual real estate, but to relational real estate too. This is what I mean with getting your weight up. Occupying land that is worth something. Jesus said this in John 6, 63. The flesh profits nothing. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. If you want to get your weight up, if you want your words to carry weight, if you want to build strong relationships, then we need to be talking about spiritual things because God's words have weight. And again, fathers in the room, you may not think this. Society doesn't tell you this. It tells you the opposite. But I will tell you, I will encourage you, I will implore with you and say, your words carry the most weight in the room. Don't waste it. Don't just talk about cars and footy because you don't know what else to say or you think that people don't want to hear it. You don't have to be a theologian. All you have to say is, I love Jesus and I love you too. Most kids never hear that from their father. The world would be a lot happier place with emptier prisons and an emptier hell if once a week every child could hear from someone doesn't just have to be fathers from someone i love jesus and i love you too i love being here on friday night seeing almost 200 kids and youth come into this place a lot from single parent families to hear Jacob Dawson over in the, the shed and then Brock, like father figures in their lives, tell these young people, I love Jesus and I love you too. So get your weight up. Make a decision to purchase that expensive ground. Our key verse as a church uh, in years gone by has been Psalm 92 that says, Those 
that be planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish. We don't want something from you. We want something for you. We want you to flourish. We want you to have strong relationships. But the best way, in fact, the only way to fully flourish as we were meant to, is to be planted in the house of the Lord. To be generous to God's house, to serve through God's house, and to be in God's house. And to illustrate, I've asked Peter to do up a a, uh, picture, if we can have that up on the back screen. Thanks, Austin. If we can have that up on this one. Beautiful. So, over here we have some water. And the water represents the living water of Christ. And then you can see we've got this thick, lush vegetation right close to the water, these big trees. And then it kind of grazes back to some bushes. And then right over here, there's this arid wasteland. We all start here. Disconnected from God, disconnected from those words of life. But then we make a decision to move towards the things of God. Maybe we get saved, maybe we come along to church, we start to hear the messages, they start to resonate in our soul, we start to move closer. But then something happens and we kind of, we get to a place where we feel comfortable. A place where we feel as though, well, this is the land that I can afford. That land over there, it's like that $15 million place right near the... I can't afford that. So I'll just... I'll stick here. So whether it be with our finances, we kind of go, well, I know that I should give. I heard an amazing story from the Cambodian team and I, I know that my money's going in a good place, but I feel like the amount that I can give is here. Not, I'm not right the way in, but I mean, if I was to, to tithe and then give offerings on top of that, like, I'm not going to be able to get all the stuff that I want. So like, I'm saved, I'm in a good place, but I'm going to just park here. So we do that financially. The, the same thing happens with our, with our service. We kind of go, yep, yeah, well, I'm moving in this direction. I kind of know that I should serve, but I kind of, I don't want to be on a roster like, every week uh, I'll, I'll serve when I can maybe like you know Christmas festivals coming up and we're you know we're, we're thinking about that so I'll serve and I'll do different pieces but thi- this is where I'm comfortable this is what I can afford in my busy schedule in my life this is this is what I can afford with our relationships what pushes things forward in this direction from before we are saved to towards the, the water of life. I think it's forgiveness. That as we start to move this way, as we start to get in deeper to the things of God, He calls us to live a life of forgiveness. But the same thing happens. We kind of, we get to a spot And then we get planted. And we can't. I'm happy to forgive those people. They didn't really mean it. It was just an accident. They just didn't know any better. 
But these people, that's too costly. I can't afford that. Le- if, I, if I put that much weight on the bar, like, that's just gonna, that's gonna crush me. Don't ask me to do, like, I'll just, I'll camp here. I'll put my roots down. Those that are, that are planted, they shall flourish. And so we, we find a spot, we start to put our roots down and we start to go, yes, I'm happy with my giving. I'm happy with my service. I'm, I'm happy with the relationships that I've got. So we start to be planted. Things are going okay for a while, but then there's a drought. The water starts to recede a little bit. And so all of a sudden, we're not experiencing the same level of, of water that, that we used to. Like our faith starts to, to droop, it starts to, to wilt a little bit. And so people then come in to see Mark and I and they, they kind of like, I, just, I, I can't hear God anymore. I can't hear him like I, I like God has departed from me. Like the, the, the water's going out. There's, there's something wrong with my faith. There's something wrong with God. What is going, like my relationships aren't working the way that, that, that they were before. Like, like what, am, what am I supposed to do? And so we might kind of say, well, maybe it's a season. Maybe it's just a, it's a, it's a dry season, it's an arid season, and, and maybe in time the, the water will come back. Maybe your relationship with God will increase. Or maybe you could increase your weight, get your weight. Maybe, maybe God is calling you to have stronger relationships and actually move closer to the source because if you get close enough it doesn't matter if there's a drought your your roots are still down deep in the water and, and you have flourishing strong relationships you have a heart of generosity you have all this stuff going on in your life and it will be okay but we kind of we kind of go I can't I can't afford that I can't afford that bit of land I You know, maybe people might reason like, maybe it's just because like Mark and and Josh they're like kind of timeshare agents for God, and if they can sell enough, if they can make people move for further forward, that they're gonna receive the money, and so that's why they're they're telling me to to move forward. But I, I want God's blessing from there, but I want it over here. I want to stay where I, I, I want God's blessing to, to come to me. I want those relationships to come to me. I'm planted here. But what if God is calling you deeper? What if he's calling you to something more? If we can have that next scripture up, thanks. In Isaiah 55, verse 1. Jesus is standing in the water and he is saying, come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, it doesn't matter if you don't have enough. He who has no money, come buy, eat, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Because on the cross, 
Jesus purchased for us the most expensive land. His blood was shed on soil to purchase that soil, the soil of forgiveness. Every sin, past, present and future, forgiven. In Jesus' name. And so when we understand that and when we see him calling us on and saying, don't worry that you don't have enough money. Don't worry that you feel as though you can't bear the weight. He actually says, he just says, just come. Come to the water. This is where you need to be. So we're going to stand and we're going to sing a song. In accordance with Ephesians 5, where it said that we're going to sing not just over ourselves, but we're going to sing over our family. We're going to sing over those people around and about us. And we're going to get our weight up because we're going to sing the name that is above every other name, the name that carries more weight in healing you, in bringing you to the water, that carries more weight in whatever struggles you're facing, that carries more weight to defeat what the enemy has been whispering in your ear that carries more weight in bringing life and life eternal, it carries more weight in any and every situation and it is the name of Jesus. It is the only name by which we can be saved. So let's sing this song together. This is our prayer. This is our declaration. I speak Jesus. Let's worship church. Wow, what a good word. If today's message meant something to you, make sure you head on over to our website at life.house and click on the My Response tab so we could hear all about it. It's so good that you guys join us online, um, but you know what's even better? Seeing you in person. We'd love to see you here at Lifehouse, 10 a.m. every Sunday at 170 Adelaide Road, Murray Bridge. Um, we'd love to have a coffee, have a chat with you guys, get to know you, get to meet you, um, and we'll see you there.